Here's Your Red Flag is intended for mature audiences only. Many, if not most, of our episodes will include topics such as psychological, emotional, and physical abuse, and detailed narcissistic and toxic behaviors. We are not professional therapists. If you are in need of professional help, please contact the appropriate authorities. Some names have been changed for anonymity purposes. The opinions expressed by the guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Lisa or myself. You can find additional information about this podcast in the show notes, as well as on our website, heresyourredflag.com. And we are also on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. I flew up to the mirror Well, there was nothing that I seen You lie, I cried The butterfly walked in my eyes You lie, I cried The butterfly walked in my eyes We would like to welcome our listeners back to another episode of Here's Your Red Flag. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Tony. Today, we are going to take a deep dive into some of the main red flags that may be waving in front of you, especially in intimate partner relationships. Today, we plan to do a little narcissist toxic person test. We are going to go through a how does this person make me feel list. We will discuss the red flags that really bring it home as well as talk about what is not normal in a healthy relationship. For the second half of today's episode, we are going to discuss some of the main statistics of domestic violence, the warning signs, or as we like to call them, red flags of domestic abuse specifically, and how to safely exit from domestically violent relationships. First off, we have a special narcissistic toxic relationship test that may help someone in an unhealthy relationship identify behaviors they may be tolerating and have possibly even become conditioned to accepting. Here we go. He lies. He cheats. He's secretive. He flirts with other women. He texts other women. He puts you down. He's so nice to everyone but you. He puts others down behind their backs, especially people who are loyal to him. He calls you names. He degrades you, jokingly or not. You are constantly trying to read the tea leaves, solve a riddle, etc. He is not transparent. He gets you hooked on him. He doles out supply intermittently. You spend a lot of time analyzing your, his behavior. You crave and accept his breadcrumbs. Oh my goodness. I could answer yes to all of those. Yikes. All of them, which is part of the reason why after the breakup, there is such a loss mm. because all of a sudden I had all this time. I didn't realize how much time I spent wow. thinking about him and analyzing his behavior and second guessing the way I said something or the way I texted something. And when that is gone, You've got to fill it now, fill that void. Even though it was an, an uh, unhealthy void, it's still a void nonetheless. Yeah, that that's part, that's a huge part of the healing process. And maybe some of the fear that people have when they think about ending the relationship. You yeah. know, so much time and routines are invested. And so, yeah, I, I drive the 60 miles to go see my boyfriend who may or may not talk to me once I get there. But I do that every Saturday. So now what am I going to do with my Saturdays? 
that's that's something to really think about. And on that drive, you're working yourself up into, yes. you know, and you're talking to yourself, you're dialoguing with yourself about what is about to occur during this visit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And role plays and all the what ifs. And it, if he says that, then I'll say this and just arming yourself. And that does a real number on our bodies. That's not healthy at all. Yeah. The stress levels are just off the charts. Yeah. And like you said, it that's the part that's so hard to get over is the time consumption, but also that mental exhaustion mm-hmm. that all of a sudden I, I don't have this stuff to worry about anymore. Mm-hmm. And what am I going to do with myself? And that's the love addiction part. And mm-hmm. that's the part where you go through the withdrawal and the withdrawal is so hard. Mm-hmm. It really is. And you're addicted to also trying to morph yourself. Mm. And once that image is gone that you don't have to morph to anymore, that's when it's hard work to figure out who am I, what do I like, and what do I want to do tonight? Right. You know, what do I want to eat? And that's where, again, it comes into figuring out before you're in a relationship or if you're in one, going ahead and doing it now, figuring out your needs, goals, values, and boundaries. Mm-hmm. And then, well, hopefully you don't get into a relationship like that, but if you are in one and you can do this work, then you can see, is this a relationship that I need mm-hmm. to get out of mm-hmm. because it does not fit with who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it will be so painful, but the pain of leaving pales in comparison to just more of the same yes. and even worse that you'll have to endure for years to come and maybe even bringing children into it, yep. which is just tragic, you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it doesn't make for a happy life. And I think that's oh like the simple truth. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And like you say over and over again, it's not your job to fix this person. You can't. Mm-hmm. No. And you may love, love, love this person, but what is it doing to you? Mm-hmm. What is it doing to your mental health? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have one life and is this what you want to be doing with it? Mm-hmm. It's not selfish. Mm-hmm. It is not selfish. When you look back a year from today, what, what are you going to want to remember? Ooh, that's a good question to ask yourself. When I, next weekend, when I look back at this weekend, like you don't mm-hmm. have to think so far off into the future, but when I look back at yesterday, what is it that I want to remember? And that question is now how I base my decisions. You know, what do I want to remember from this weekend? Do I want to remember curled in a ball in my bed? And sometimes we do need to do that. Or do I want to remember how I was constantly tap dancing, hoping I made the right dinner and hoping the house was clean enough and hoping the kids weren't too loud? Do I want to do that? It's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's what we were designed by our creator to do. No, it's not how he wants us to live our lives. Mm -mm. Not at all. Not at all. Well, here are some more traits to really emphasize narcissistic red flags and really bring it home in case you were still kind of (laughs) lost. Again, not all of these red flags will be present, but these are some huge red flags. He may throw or break things or use overtly aggressive behavior to keep you scared. And he knows this scares you and this gives him a sense of power. And I got this next little bit from Lundy Bancroft, who wrote an excellent, excellent book called Why Does He Do That? And I've I've spoken about him before and, and we'll link that book in our show notes. 
he's a therapist who's worked with thousands of abusive men in programs that were court ordered. And he began to see a trend with these men who part of their therapy was they had to describe in, in detail what they did to their partners, what, what the abuse looked like. And they had to be very specific. And Lundy Bancroft would ask questions like, well, you know, the, the man would say, well, then I pushed her face into the floor. And then Lundy would ask, well, then what did you do? Well, then I stopped and I went to the fridge and grabbed a beer. And Lundy would push and say, well, why didn't you kill her? And the man would say, well, because that's wrong. That's too far. And he began to notice that abusive men want to say that they're so overcome by their anger that they can't control themselves, but yet they can because they just admitted to him, well, I didn't kill her because that would be, that's wrong or that's way too far. So abusive men are in full awareness of their behavior. And so when they throw and break things, if you're in a relationship with someone who does that, I want you to pause and think, what have they broken or destroyed and whose was it? And I bet it was your, your things, not their things. And again, this points to them being fully aware of their behavior and that their thought patterns are what drive their behavior. So their thought pattern is you are bad. You deserve to be punished. They have the right to punish you. These are the things you love and they're going to destroy these things to hurt you. That's what they're thinking. And so then they act on that, on that thought process and then destroy things. So I think that's in my own relationship, that was just a huge awareness for me. And I'm just ever thankful for that book. And it really helped me actually lose empathy for number two. I had so much empathy and so many excuses that I made, but being able to see it in that way with those examples that Lundy Bancroft gives in his book are just so powerful. Wow. Mm -hmm. It is an excellent book. And mm -hmm. we have it permanently on our website in our resources tab on our website, mm -hmm. but I will definitely make sure that that's linked in our show notes. Mm -hmm. If you like audiobooks, the audio version is excellent. And there's also videos of him on YouTube giving lectures. So if you want to just hear a little snippet before you buy, that's a good thing to do too. But other, you know, other red flags would be verbal abuse. And this includes withholding praise or name calling, blaming, accusing, judging, criticizing, put downs, making light of certain situations, threatening, or even commanding. Maybe there's a constant nagging just to wear you down, diminishing, saying you're not good enough, silent treatment, throwing fits and temper tantrums, acting helpless, guilting you into doing something that's beyond your physical capability or beyond your time capability, ghosting or going radio silent and then coming back later for intimate relationships. Do you want me to say booty call? <laughs> I, I hear of that, you know. Yeah. He ghosted me and then he came back for a booty call. But no, you don't have to say booty call. Yeah, he can put it in. That's kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's secretive about other aspects of his life, avoiding you or not showing up. And number two did this quite often. Did Do you want to talk about that? Remember you had the find my app, you know, when mm -hmm. y'all were married and 
and you said he left, he's mad. It was after, you know, I knew everything and, and he left mm-hmm. the house. I feel like it was at least a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And you said, Oh, I can see where he is. He's sitting at a convenience store. And then you texted me much later and said, he's still there. And he mm-hmm. just, I said, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. And you said, yeah, I'm, he was drinking because mm-hmm we had a trash can in the garage and I would find the brown paper sacks and the tall boy cans mm-hmm. there. And then other times, you know, he wouldn't be mad, but he would say he needed to go run an errand on a Saturday and he'd be gone a long time. And I'd look to see where he is or was, and he'd be parked outside of a liquor store, or he'd say he's going to the grocery store and be parked out outside of a liquor store that was not attached to a grocery store. And I would find those bottles later. You know, it's interesting too, because I remember very clearly a conversation that, that I had with number two, where we, we talked about alcoholism and this was during a stretch of time where he wasn't drinking at all. And he very intuitively said that, you know, people use alcohol as an escape to mentally kind of avoid or numb what's really going on. And that just really always stood out to me. And when I, I found out that he was secretly drinking, what it did to me was think, well, it made me feel, I felt bad. I'll just say that. And I started to wonder, well, what is it? I mean, the house is clean and there's food here and the kids are behaving. What, what is it that he's trying to avoid? I just couldn't seen you all week. Yeah. He hasn't seen me all week. Mm Mm-hmm. I just couldn't understand why is he trying to avoid me? Mm. Just so, so painful, you know, and he could have told me anything. He could have said, I I want you to be three inches taller and I would have found a way to do it, you know, and I'm not saying I walked around thinking I'm so perfect. I can't believe he doesn't want to be home with me. It's not that attitude at all. It was just very hurtful and confusing. And the thing is, while maybe he was or wasn't an alcoholic and he was definitely abusing alcohol, I don't want to have that be the excuse for his behavior because there were definite times when he was not drinking and he still was toxic mm-hmm. and he was, uh, you know, he's mm-hmm. a duck, <laughs> he's yeah. a narcissist. And we can sometimes, you, you know, you were trying to figure out what it is. Maybe it's just because he's, he's an alcoholic. Well, no, mm-hmm. R- regardless of the alcohol, he is mm-hmm. still a toxic, abusive man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. He he was toxic and abusive when he wasn't drinking, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But when he, you know, did start the drinking and that was towards the end, mm-hmm. you know, that last year, last few months before you filed for divorce, it's quite obvious he was avoiding you. He did not want to be close with you. He it demonstrated that through your entire marriage, he mm-hmm. was so fearful of intimacy with you mm-hmm. after the love bombing stage. Mm-hmm. I mean, classic, he just fit classically mm-hmm. into that dizzying cycle of narcissism, mm-hmm. yeah. which is love bombing, devaluing, discarding and hoovering. Mm-hmm. He just classically fit. Mm-hmm. The one thing he was good at being mm-hmm. an example of that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I have just a few more to list off and they can be kind of redundant and repetitive, but we're just trying to help you build strong neural pathways and plant some seeds along the way, give you some things to think about. 
in your relationships and to help you avoid toxic relationships in your future. So just to wrap up this little list, he could ask you to compromise yourself to make his life easier. He doesn't treat you well or respectfully. He speaks unkindly about people you love and isolates you from them. He provokes jealousy and rivalries. He does not have healthy intimacy. It seems one-sided. You find that sometimes you have to beg for his intimacy or love or affection. When you state your needs, he discounts them, devalues them, and ridicules them. He even will make you second guess why you even need that. In a normal or healthy relationship, you can discuss these subjects without fear of those behaviors that were just mentioned. He doesn't revere or treasure the relationship. In fact, there are three aspects in every relationship. There's you, there's me, and there's a relationship. And no one part is more important than the other. You are expected to do all of the changing and he doesn't change anything. He is cheap with you and withholds, but not just money. You start to get the sense that he doesn't think that you're worth it. Worth the money, the attention, the the compliments, the communication, or any effort whatsoever. Mm. You just start to feel worthless in his eyes. Yeah. Interestingly, some narcissists want to get caught with any obvious missteps so that you will start a fight with them and then they can get out of being with you. And this helps them swerve from intimacy and closeness after the love bombing stage is over with once they're in the devaluing. And then they're able to say, well, accept me this way or you go away, which you're already sucked in. You're already love addicted. You've already got the chemicals going. It's a complete manipulation. And you, at this point can really feel like you've sold yourself out. Like you've sold your soul. You have to remember you have bonded to them, but they have not bonded to you. They are incapable of bonding. And it was all a facade on their part. Anything that resembled bonding was all a facade. You begin to adopt perfectionistic qualities because any mistake or misstep will be used against you. They can always turn a conflict around to make themselves the victim. You just learn to take it because you're so addicted to this person. You're so invested. They're your kid's father or, or you have too many years in to this relationship. How can I possibly leave now? I've got so much invested and I love him. You suspect or feel in your gut that you are being mistreated. When you get some distance here and there, you really start to see this mistreatment more and more, but you question yourself thinking maybe you're overanalyzing or being overly sensitive and you find yourself talking yourself out of it and gaslighting yourself. This person becomes your entire life to the detriment of other relationships in your life, to the detriment of yourself. If you find you are shunning others who have been in your life all along, there's your huge red flag. You isolate yourself in order to make sure you're available for them. For some reason, the relationship seems to involve a lot of sacrifices on your end, but very few on theirs. He is like a drug to you. If you could only spend all your time with him, you were just fine with that. You're addicted and he almost seems like he could take or leave you. It's agonizing. So what is normal? If your soulmate, quote unquote, went from fascinated to bored in the blink of an eye, this is not normal. If you were called jealous and crazy by someone who actively cheated on you, this is not normal. If you are desperately waiting by your phone for texts they once initiated on a minute by minute basis, this is not normal. 
If all of their exes were bipolar or madly in love with them or crazy, this is not normal. Toxic people condition us to ignore our intuition, and we must learn to trust it again. Instead of judging outwardly, we need to perceive inwardly. When we start focusing on our own feelings, this is where the healing begins. Good people make you feel good, and bad people make you feel bad. That, that is so simple, but mm. it is 100% truth. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is so true. Mm-hmm. So... Lisa, what do you think about these two red flag episodes? I think it's a wealth of information that our listeners can take notes on, really chew on. Yeah. Yeah. And contemplate and think about. And kind of a major takeaway is that if you're researching, if you're actually Googling or talking to people about the way someone in your life is behaving or treating you, That's a red flag in itself. Mm. And while it's normal to want to talk to your best friend about your relationship and how things are going, you know, if you're at all scratching your head or have a feeling in your gut, really pay attention to that and don't believe what they say, but rather what they do. Exactly. Well, I've really enjoyed going through that with you and we've never really fully talked that all through. And, Mm -hmm. and I hope that listeners will find it beneficial, if not just for education, maybe to apply to their own lives or to apply to their future. Maybe these red flags will ding something inside their head and keep them from pursuing toxic people. Mm -hmm. And maybe someone listening might have a friend or relative who they know is involved in an unhealthy relationship. And hopefully some of what we shared can help identify those traits. And then in future episodes, maybe we can outline the now what, now that you know, what do you do? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the future is bright with the many topics that we can discuss, mm-hmm. you know, branching yes. off of red flags. Mm-hmm. And we really do hope that listeners will let their friends and neighbors know about our podcast and we just want to grow with this community of people that are wanting to get educated and wanting to make a bright, positive future for themselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Lisa, did you know that October has been designated as National Domestic Violence Awareness Month? No, I did not know that. The 20th of October was called Purple Thursday, and it was a national day of action. It occurs each October during Domestic Violence Awareness Month. It's an opportunity to raise awareness about domestic violence and an easy way for people to show their commitment to promoting healthy relationships. I love that. I'm sad I missed it, but I'll put it on my calendar for next year. Yes, we will definitely promote it next year. So according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence website, its link is listed in our show notes. Domestic Violence Awareness Month was launched nationwide in October of 1987 as a way to connect and unite individuals and organizations working on domestic violence issues while raising awareness for those issues. Over the past 30 plus years, much progress has been made to support domestic violence victims and survivors, to hold abusers accountable, and to create and update legislation to further those goals. 
And I found on the Connecticut Coalition Against Domestic Violence website, also its link will be listed in our show notes, a really good description of domestic violence, which is domestic violence is a pattern of coercive controlling behavior that can include physical abuse, emotional or psychological abuse, sexual abuse, or financial abuse. It is a pervasive life-threatening crime that affects thousands of individuals, regardless of age, gender, economic status, race, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, or education. Victims are left feeling scared, confused, dependent, and insecure about their ability to survive on their own, financially or otherwise. The children of an abused parent must contend with these same fears and realities. According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence website, in particular, its statistics tab, and we will post the link in our show notes. On average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. During one year, this equates to more than 10 million women and men. Just a few more stats that we really want to emphasize from that site. One in seven women and one in 18 men have been stalked by an intimate partner during their lifetime to the point in which they felt very fearful or believe that they or someone close to them would be harmed or killed. One in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. This includes a range of behaviors, for instance, slapping, shoving, pushing. Domestic abuse takes a toll on the victim's physical, emotional, financial, and spiritual health. Domestic violence has very harmful effects on children who witness it, even if they are never physically harmed themselves. Here are some things you can do if you are a victim of domestic violence. Begin by knowing that you are not alone. On a typical day, more than 20,000 calls are made to the domestic abuse hotline. Once you start reaching out, the amount of support will likely be very overwhelming. And please remember that the first step is the hardest in many ways. Some things that I was encouraged to do when I was going through this, the first thing was, number one, have a person that you can really talk to and develop a safety plan. And there are a lot of safety plan templates on the web, on the internet, but some things that you'll want to think through first are how to make a quick exit from your home or your car. If you need to try not to be in a space where the abuser could corner you, you might consider packing a go bag and keep a set of car keys handy at all times. Have a code word that you could use for a close friend if you're texting or talking to each other on the phone and your abuser is near and you're feeling afraid. The code word could mean many things like come over now or I'm headed to your house or please call 911. You and your friend can decide what the code word means, but it might be helpful to have one. If you would like more information on creating a safety plan or if you're curious to see if what you are experiencing is actually abuse, you can go to thehotline.org and they have a lot of great resources there. In the meantime, here are some things that you can do and really great things to remember. If you're in immediate danger, always call 911. In my situation, Tony encouraged me to call our local non-emergency police line just to get some advice from them and they were extremely helpful. So if you're not in immediate danger or if you have a question, your non-emergency line might be very helpful as well. Always trust your gut. If you think you're in danger, you probably are. 
Never minimize the abuser's behavior or the level of danger present. Connect with certified domestic violence advocates in your area. Speak with a family violence victim advocate in your area as well. I did this and found them to be extremely helpful. Thehotline.org is a great resource for many things related to domestic violence. One great feature is that it has a safety feature where you can leave the site safely by clicking on a red X and it will minimize the site from your computer. As well as not show up in the history? I believe it removes it from the history. I think it does. Yeah. I think I read that. Mm -hmm. There is a domestic abuse expert that we've talked about on the podcast already, and his name is Lundy Bancroft, and he wrote a book that has been pivotal in my healing and our understanding of abusive men. His book is called Why Does He Do That? And the subtitle is Inside the Minds of Angry and Controlling Men. Uh, Right off the bat in the book, he does recognize that women can be abusers as well, but his experience, I believe it's Over 30 years of experience in working with abusive men has been exclusively with men. So he writes the book from that perspective. Uh, We'll link a really interesting YouTube video in our show notes where Lundy describes in great detail the differences between narcissism and abuse and why he wants people to be very careful to not always associate one term with the other. Not all narcissists are abusive, and he wants to make that clear. The main difference between the two is that an abuser is often unwilling to change, whereas a narcissist is unable to change. An abuser is unwilling to change because they have faulty beliefs about women, and the narcissist is unable to change because it is a true personality disorder, and they cannot, they are unable to see their role in any problem in a relationship. Some early warning signs that Lundy goes through in chapter five of his book are just extremely eye-opening. And I would really recommend the book to anyone for this chapter, if for nothing else. But some early warning signs include disrespect toward you or others, not honoring your needs or your wants, refusing to take responsibility for any mistake, big or small, He exhibits possessiveness or jealousy, which is not sexy, y'all. He is selfish if he has an addiction, if he pressures you for intimacy, moves the relationship too quickly, or does not handle anger very well. Those could all be warning signs, which we call red flags, for potential abuse. Having said that, it seems to me then that a healthy relationship consists of all of the opposites of these red flags. And those would be mutual respect, trust, honesty, accountability, and freedom for each person to grow and develop as an individual with his or her own interests and hobbies, while also building some common friendships, interests, and hobbies. One key thing I did want to point out that Lundy says is that abusive men or women don't necessarily all have traumatic pasts or unhealthy parents. Uh, Lundy spent over two decades building programs for abusive men to attend. And these programs would always be court-ordered because they wouldn't go voluntarily. So these court-ordered abuse programs for men, it's not therapy. They have to confront in detail what they have done to their partners. 
whether they punched them, slapped them, kicked them, manipulated them, whatever it is, they have to be 100% truthful and detail it for the group. And so in doing so, the men usually end up talking about their upbringings. And, you know, early on in Lundy's career, he, I think it's fair to say he was surprised that the men don't always come from traumatic childhoods and they are abusive because of their faulty beliefs about women. Women are objects on a shelf to be displayed, used, and later discarded when they're not needed anymore or wanted. And so it's not always a result of trauma that they have these beliefs. And I think that's really, really interesting. It is really interesting. I was listening to some of his book today, another chapter, and he pointed out that for an abuser, it's about control and they may wine and dine and love bomb you at the beginning. It's all to groom you and get you under their control. And that is truly what it is. It is about having control. Once they have groomed you and conditioned you, then any of the aspects that you would see in a normal, healthy relationship, like compromising and negotiating doesn't exist. And you'll you notice that in the cycle of abuse that we've talked about earlier, there is that love bombing stage and the hoovering stage that occurs again. And that's all part of control as well. So I know for me, after an incident of rage or abuse, then there would be that honeymoon period again, that hoovering period. And I for so long thought, oh, it's over now. You know, the bad stuff's over, never fully realizing that the good stuff was also abuse. Like it's just. Oh, uh, that's so interesting. That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. The good stuff was also abuse. Mm -hmm. To keep you engaged, you know? So we let our guards down again. We're vulnerable again. And then the, it just keeps repeating itself. Right. And y'all got divorced and you gray rocked and then initiated no contact on your end with number two. And I was listening to chapter five yesterday and something really stood out to me. Bancroft says they never view you as a living, breathing human being by viewing you as this object, which I know we have talked about before. They view you as an object that is theirs to control. And number two, even though you were initiating zero contact, not responding to him, he continued for two years to text you and send you things like y'all were still in a full-on relationship. He communicated a few different times that you were still his wife, even though you were divorced and that you would be eternally married in the afterlife. And that is a perfect illustration of what Bancroft says that you're, you're his to control. Mm -hmm. Yes. I really have been enjoying this book. And like Lisa said, I highly recommend it as well for our listeners. It is just beautifully written, very easy to pick up in any chapter and and read Mm -hmm. and understand all the way through. Yeah, it's a great resource too that you can go back to. You know, I have so many pages earmarked and I read something new, learn something new every time. But when I was initially going through the awareness of abuse that was happening in my second marriage and stumbled upon this book, it truly was life-changing, life-saving, eye-opening, all the things. And I know I immediately shared it with you and we were just kind of blown away that this wonderful resource exists. And some, you know, what's lovely about it is it's from the perspective of a, of a man. 
it is interesting that it is written from the male perspective, that being Bancroft's perspective. It's also interesting that we get the perspective of the male abuser throughout the book, through Lundy's interviews with abusive men. We get to see behind the curtain where maybe it was a mystery before. Yes, Lundy's able, you know, wrote this because he was able to get inside the minds of abusers. And in one of his videos, he talks about one session in the abuser program where Lundy's partner, the other therapist in the room, was writing some skits to role play abusive situations and how then Lundy was, I think, going to play the target, the victim. And they were going to role play that and how rather than react abusively, here's how you could react type of situation. And he said that the abusers were actually, the men in the group were actually saying, no, 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 that's not how you do it. No, 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 that's not. They were giving advice on how to further torment this poor, you know, fictional victim. And, you know, Lundy said he became fully aware at that point that unlike personality disorders, which cannot be controlled as much, abusers can full on control their behavior and, you know, notice that if they're destroying things, they're probably not destroying their things. They're destroying yours. Right. And they can turn it on and off like a switch. And so that's a hallmark for abusers. So is there anything else you wanted to add, Lisa? Yes. As if we haven't already shamelessly plugged Lundy's book enough, I would just let the audience know that his book is divided into four sections. The first section is the nature of abusive thinking. So he debunks a lot of myths about abusive men, including that they've had traumatic pasts. Part two is the abusive man in relationships. Part three is the abusive man in the world. And part four is changing the abusive man. God, I would love to talk about each chapter, but you know, like title, but anyway, go buy the book. (laughs) Yeah, really. And I believe one of the last sections is how to make the world a better place in the sense of how to create non-abusers. I can't remember how it's worded. Creating an abuse-free world. That's better than what I said. Yes. (laughs) And a huge part of Lundy's career now is being an activist. And he strongly believes that it begins with the raising of our boys and teaching our boys to respect women and to not view them as sex objects. And he blames a lot of abusive behaviors on the pornography industry and how that portrays women that chapter is really, really insightful as far as, okay, what can we do if I'm not a victim of abuse or our listeners out there, praise God, have not been affected by abuse. There's still something that they can do within their own homes uh, with their own sons or nephews or grandsons. Abuse is a systemic problem. It's not an individual problem and we can help. So in the classroom, I can help my male students too. It's wonderful. It really is. And on the other side with women, I hope that this podcast and all of the wealth of information through people that put their content out through YouTube and other podcasts and books can educate women Mm -hmm. to be aware of their own needs, their own values, their own goals ahead of time so that they can be equipped to recognize this person does not fit Mm -hmm. with my needs, values, and goals. Mm -hmm. and can keep moving along and -hmm. pass that person by and not let that person come into their life. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. 
And while we're so busy educating our boys on how to respect women, we need to be educating and arming our daughters to mm. the girls and young girls in our lives to, as you said, know themselves and have that strength to in discernment, right? And mm. and really tap into that right to not engage with everyone who comes across their path and to recognize those who are not healthy. Exactly. Yes. So what a great deep dive this episode has been. Next week, we are talking to a licensed professional counselor about the three parts of the brain and learning to use the reasoning cognitive part to help you override the emotional part. We thank you for joining us today on Here's Here's Your Your Red Red Flag. Flag. Thanks, y'all. Here's Your Red Flag was written, directed, and recorded by Tony and Lisa and edited by Tony. Our theme song is Butterfly Woke by Jairus. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave us a five-star review. Thanks, y'all. You